Um, today we're going to start a brand new series, but you know I have this habit. We, um, we, uh, uh, there are tw- 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's never more than 31 dates in any given month, so there's always a chapter of the day. And I like to bring a scripture out of the chapter of today. Today being the fifth, I, I chose verse 21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. That verse has kept me making good decisions at times. You know, just to, to, I hope it has that effect on you as well. Today we're starting a new series, and the title of the series, I guess you could call it Life's Not Fair. And, um, and we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, several circumstances um, about how we handle things when life's not fair. And I want to talk today about how to silence your critics. And uh, what I'm thinking, what's in my mind, as, as I've actually had uh, this message series in development for a very long time. I think I first started taking notes for this series probably two years ago. And um, uh, I had no idea what kinds of current events would be happening when the time came. And, and this one actually got scheduled in my planning probably about six months ago. I planned way off in advance. I am so afraid to stand in this pulpit and not represent the Lord well. I can't sleep at night if I don't know what I'm doing way out there. Did you know that about me? I mean, I just, I, just, I just take this so seriously, that it's the Word of God, and we believe the Word of God here, and I would never want to um, dishonor the Lord in any way. So, so um, I mean, I've, I've, I've had this on my mind, but didn't know the kinds of current events that would be going on, the things that would be hitting the news um, in the last 10 days. Supreme Court decisions and, and other things that are going on that, that um, this is so relevant and speaks to, but is so cross-grained to our culture. It's just going cross-grained, if you know what I mean, but it's just it's rubbing the wrong direction in our culture right now. And, and so I think because of that, um, we are going to experience as people who identify as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, people who actually believe the word of God, we are going to, over, over time, become more and more um, the objects of criticism in our culture. Amen. You might not have noticed that yet, but I'm telling you, you will. Um, I, I, wanna, I, I had a couple of experiences. I'm going to share them. They happened to happen in about the same place in our state at different times. They happened over the course of a couple of different months um, where I found myself frequently traveling, and this is in eastern Washington, on a long, straight stretch of two-lane highway. And this was back in the 70s. And believe it or not, it used to be safe in the 70s to drive at 70 miles an hour on a two-lane highway in this state, because that was the speed limit, right? And you know that if the government sets a speed limit, that it's safe, right? Okay. So this, 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 this story I'm going to tell you, these two, two examples, are something that ha- actually happened to me a long time ago. And... Um, About the same time. One happened in broad daylight, and the other happened on a different trip in the middle of the night. It was dark. So I'll start with the daylight one. I was tooling along, um, minding my own business, speeding at about 70-ish. And and, um, without without really paying attention, a a little dot shows up in my rearview mirror and comes flying up behind me and it was a guy on a motorcycle, and it was, I just remember at the time, it was a BMW motorcycle. And in the 70s, BMWs had these big, big fast shaft drive. Come on, gearheads, get with me on this. I mean, a nice motorcycle, but he came up behind me and got into the left-hand lane and blew past me. I was 70-ish, and he was 90-ish. I mean, you could just tell. He, wasn't, he, wasn't just, he didn't creep by me. He blew past me. 
The thing was that there was a tractor trailer coming head on. And, you know, I think it's tractor trailers sometimes do 70-ish. And so we're head-to-head probably at 140, and this guy's bombing up behind me, pulls over, goes past, and he's thinking, I got this covered. And he did. He got into that lane, blew past me, got back in the lane just in time to miss this big truck. Here's the thing, though. Now, I'm not a motorcycle guy. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't have one. My wife won't let me have a motorcycle. <laughs> Can I have a motorcycle, honey? Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I know that yes means absolutely no. Anyway, so uh, I don't need my wife to tell me something the Holy Spirit has said. Terry, you'll kill yourself stay off of a motorcycle. So um, anyway, so he gets past this big tractor trailer, but what he couldn't see, and if you're a motorcycle rider, you know this, what he couldn't see was this huge bow wave of invisible air moving along in front of that truck. And it, it, if you've ever driven, you know, you, you may have experienced this before. And this big, heavy-duty, shaft-drive, really cool BMW flying up the road pulled in there. And this truck went past, and the bow wave picked this motorcycle up in front of me, picked him up, and moved him over and set him down in the ditch. He was going 90 miles an hour in the, in the gravel. And that guy went over on his side. I swear, I, I, I can't believe he did not kill himself. You know, somehow he got that thing back up. His perception told him he's going fast enough that he'll get by. And I'm telling you, he squeaked by by a hairbreadth. His perception was it's safe to go. I mean, I had another experience on that same stretch of road. And this one was another time I was making the trip, and it was late at night. I think I'd left this side of the state early, late at night, like nine or ten at night, and so I'm over there, and it's midnight or one in the morning, and I'm driving up that same stretch of road somewhere, and way off in the distance this time, I see a, 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 I see a motorcycle coming towards me. No trucks, just a motorcycle coming towards me. I know you motorcycle guys are upset right now. Terry, quit talking motorcycle stories. My wife's going to take my toy away. Anyway, so, um, um, so, so here's this, here comes this motorcycle, and I'm, of course, I'm doing 70-ish, and... Um, it gets closer and closer, and I'm starting to notice he's kind of every sometimes he gets close to the center line. In fact, the closer he gets, I'm starting to notice it seems like he might even be coming over onto my side a little bit. I'm starting to get a little bit defensive in my driving. I'm thinking, okay, I got to be careful here. Don't know what this guy's doing. Maybe he's had a little bit too much. Maybe he's trying out all the gears. I don't know what the deal is, but it's making me nervous. As he gets closer and closer and closer, and as he comes up to where I am. He gets really, really close, and now he is in my lane. And as my lights start to get on him, I'm on low beam now, and my lights get on him, I realize I'm not looking at a motorcycle. I'm looking at a car with a headlight out. And the headlight I'm seeing is the passenger side, which means he's fully in my lane. And, of course, I, I did this, got past him. I didn't die. Evidence here to prove that. But my perception was that I just needed to make room for a motorcycle. And this, I, I, the Lord spared me, obviously. And I could have died based upon my perceptions there. I could have just trusted what I saw. The difference between what is real and what you perceive is real can be the difference between life and death. 
Our perceptions are not necessarily as dependable as we want to believe that they are. The things that you're perceiving, the decisions you're making right now, are they as reliable as you want to tell yourself? You want to believe that you've got judgment. You want to believe you're perceiving. You want to believe. But are they always? Because if you're wrong, sometimes your perceptions can make a terrible difference for you. And it's really, really, really hard to assess how good your perceptions are by looking in a mirror. It's really hard. We just make assumptions about our own perceptions. Have you ever been unfairly perceived by somebody? I mean, misunderstood? Have you ever had somebody misrepresent you to others? Or have you ever actually even been slandered? You know, because once you're tagged with an unfair tag or description, given, you know, once you've been given negative press, it's really, really hard sometimes to overcome bad press. And there are groups in our culture that know this. And they will say things that they know not to be true about someone else or other groups. And, uh, and the reason that they do that is because they know that the negative words they say show up as headlines on the front page. And the apologies make page nine in the bottom. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you see this kind of stuff happen. And, and then and the people that are the victims of that slander, they live with that kind of damage for years and years and years. And the earthly church, you know, God's bride, Jesus' bride, in the time uh, of Peter, was being really severely slandered. Here are some things that were being said about the early church in the time that, in the time that Peter was making his travels after, after Christ had risen from the dead. They, 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 Nero accused the Christians of having burned down Rome. Okay, so wild-eyed radicals out to destroy the city kind of burned the place. Another thing they said was, the church is just a bunch of cannibals. They heard something about their leader telling them to drink his blood and to eat his flesh, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you're a church person, you know I'm talking about communion. It's something that Christ said. He wasn't telling people to become cannibals, but somehow this was being taken out of context and being broadcast. These guys are, you know, and, and you might say, well, that's just ridiculous, but that kind of stuff starts spreading, right? And you've probably heard some terrible, ridiculous things before about other people, but it spreads. Here's another one. They would call their meetings, these Christians would call their meeting love feasts. Love feasts. They're being sexually permissive. There's some kind of crazy things going on. There's, you know, and, there's, and the slander against Christians would spread around the empire. How do you get rid of that kind of stuff? Here's another one. Um, they were being called anti-patriotic. Um, and they, they were a subversive group. I mean, they, they claimed they had a king, so they would not worship Caesar. They had their own king. He was invisible, and he was going to come back someday. And to make matters worse, this is having a very severe economic impact because they, they, this, this invisible king who was going to come back someday was telling them, do not worship idols. So they weren't buying any more idols. In fact, they weren't eating any meat sacrificed to idols. It was having an impact in a culture that that was a big financial engine. These are subversive people. They burned down Rome. They're cannibals. They're sexually permissive. They're, they're anti-patriotic. They wouldn't work. And, and they're, they're subversive. Pretty bad rap. How'd you like to live in a time when your Christian faith is under that kind of assault? Peter 
who um, we believe was really being inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote, wrote, wrote um, scripture, gives us some ideas and he teaches Christians how to beat the negative press, how to build the image of the body and how to silence our critics. And that's where we're going to go today. Now, now there is some good news. When Peter does give us some instructions and those instructions actually work. Okay, so here's some context. Peter was addressing um, these issues in about the years 64, 65, 66 AD. So, um, and, and then a couple, a couple hundred years even later, the emperor Constantine would actually start making it okay and, and legal to be Christians. In fact, um, Christians later were no longer known as cannibals and terribly unpatriotic and so forth. They became, became known as model citizens, people to emulate, people to, to respect, people to honor, best workers. They were noble. What did Christians do to change the way they were viewed? You know, how did they get from being sexually permissive to the best citizens and the most admirers? Peter's going to tell us. But before we go there, I just want to make a little observation, which you're probably already making in your heart, and that is, you know, just like in Peter's time, the church of Jesus Christ today is being slandered. We are. We have some very, very negative press about us that we need to overcome, and um, some, of that, some of that negative press can be attributed to malicious, untrue comments and and spiritual darkness. Some of it is an enemy who just wants to destroy the bride. But a lot of it comes from perceptions that don't actually meet reality. Perceptions that are just not accurate. And, and today there are some stereotypes, some very, very nasty connotations that are, can be associated with being a Christian. You know, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You know, somebody who actually believes that the Bible is the word of God, and, um, you know, and I have to also admit that, you know, some of the stereotypes, the stereotypes, unfortunately, we've brought on ourselves. The church has done that. I mean, slander, there's some slander that's because we've so poorly represented Jesus, and we need to own that. Amen. Where that's true, we need to own that. But as a general rule, the typical Christian is not as depicted by the slander that's said about, the, about us and about... The, about. So, so, um, so I'm going to give you some slanders, and you'll go, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Slander one, number one is this. If you're a born-again Christian in Christ Jesus, you are narrow and bigoted. Okay? <laughs> that's how we're presented in prime time, and in, in literature, you're narrow and bigoted. Why? Because typically you believe in absolutes. You know? So... When a Christian takes a stand on the role of men and women, you know, when we say there is equality in love, but there is a difference in gender, and that differences are important and valuable, and they both have a place, and, um, and that's to be honored, um, and uh, well, we're the, well, all of a sudden now we're anti-women. We're bigoted and we're narrow. I mean, I remember, I was raised by my parents to be a gentleman, not because I was bigoted and narrow. I figured, I know, somewhere along the line, I think they had to teach me, Terry, yes, you can take your sisters. And I wanted to. But that's not the role of a man. God calls men to something different. He calls us to, be, to, 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 to restrain that animal and to, to care for and to protect. And so I was taught to open doors. And I remember a time in the early 70s where I worked at this big corporation and I just was at the front door one time and I opened the door for a, 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 an executive woman came through and she 
chewed on my ear. Why did you open that door for me? I'm just trying to be a gentleman. I don't need a gentleman. I am fully capable of opening the door by myself. And I thought, okay, okay. And it, it wasn't me in any way being narrow-minded or bigoted. It was just me being a nice guy. Thanks for that, Mom. Get me in that trouble. <laughs> anyway, okay, so... Or, or we, 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 we get slandered because we're narrow and bigoted. I mean, we, we take stands on absolutes, and there are issues of absolutes that are in the press right now. And, you know, when we take a stance on absolutes regarding sexual purity before God sexual and, and sexual practice, even though there may be present and needs to be present a willingness to love and to care for and to help and minister to uh, people that, that could be involved in homosexuality, even though that's present, if, if we hold that the word of God is true, which we do, and that homosexuality is, is wrong and it's harmful and it's detrimental, well, then we're homophobic. We're hateful. We're anti-gay. And that, that is absolutely untrue slander against the church. And I can tell you, I, I kind of get frustrated. That's being gentle about being labeled uh, homophobic, because I'm not. The people that, I've had people say that to me before, because they've asked me a question, and I have not immediately given the answer that they require. Homophobic is what they'll say. But they don't know me. They don't know Terry. They don't know my history. They don't know who has been in my past, the number of times and the number of people, different people at different times and different seasons that I have loved and cared for and been befriended and ministered to and told the truth and helped um, who were homosexual? I am not. Hom- I am not homophobic. But whether whether someone wants to label me that way or not has nothing to do with what God says about a harmful practice. And I I want to say to you right now, if you're frustrated, I'm not trying to rile you up. I really am not. I don't want you riled up. Actually, I want the opposite. That if you have a place in your heart where you have a category of people for whom you have disdain or view with some level of wrath, check your heart. I mean, I want to encourage you to consider our only good example, and that's Jesus Christ, who there's lots of stories in the Word, and I'll just pick the one that, that comes to my mind, and that is this, this scenario where he's... He's uh, confronted by um, a bunch of people. You can find this in John chapter 8, but he's confronted by a bunch of people who have caught a woman in a sexual sin. There's not one sexual sin, by the way, that's worse than the others. Okay? He's, she's caught in a sexual sin. They got the rocks in their hand. They're ready to take her out, kill her. And they're trying to trap Jesus at the same time. And some stuff goes on. And something happens in their hearts. They all leave. Now it's Jesus and this woman. And he says to her, where are the people that accused you? And she says, they're all gone. She doesn't know what's coming next. And he says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not condemning you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. You know, he left her with hope. He left her with love. He left her not with tolerance. He left her with truth. He loved her enough to love her with the truth, not to tolerate her with indifference. And that is so hard for us to do. And what's easy for us to do is to pick 
a sin. Name your sin that you want to pick on. It's what's easy for us to do is to pick a sin because it's not present in our life, and we can just zero on that one. Oh, we shouldn't do that. We've got to check our hearts. And so we're portrayed because of absolutes, believing in absolutes, we're portrayed as narrow-minded and bigoted and backwards and you know, low intelligence. You must be really stupid people if you believe. You know, that's, I mean, I mean, and because the only absolutes that our culture accepts is that there are no absolutes. That's the only one. And anybody holds that anything is true all of the time is narrow and they're bigoted. We have to overcome that slander. And if we don't overcome that slander as a church, we will lose our ability to impact the generations that are coming. The second slanderous statement is this. Christians are Bible-thumping anti-intellectuals. Bible thumpers, you bunch of Bible <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, have, have you ever noticed that's how we're portrayed on primetime? Okay, I mean, you know, most, most Christian characters who show up on primetime, you're not too smart. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're involved in blind faith. Okay, you know, whatever. And there's some charismatic leader, and you just do what he says, and, and there's no regard for science, you know, so you're anti, that's, that's slander. That's slander against the, the body of Christ. And unfortunately, the media has kind of picked up on that, and they portray us all that way. Okay? I mean, and to overcome this anti-intellectual, Bible-thumping, you know, narrow view, we need to actually be able to have rational conversations with people and not get all inflamed and, and crazy. We, we have to be able to actually discuss the topic of evolution. You've got to be able to talk about those kinds of things and, 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 and creation and Talk about how faith and philosophy fit into day-to-day life. I mean, I mean, it's, it's actually intellectually plausible to be a believer. It is. And we've got to be able to have that conversation. The third slander that I see on the church, and, and this is a reason that many people will not open their heart to Jesus, is this. The church is just full of hypocrites. <laughs> You've heard that, right? Oh, I want to go to church. It's just full of hypocrites. You know, they say one thing and they do another. And... Um, We've given them probably some examples of that, I suppose. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we have. You know, the church is just full of phonies, and it's a big con game. It's run by a bunch of people who just want to control people and their money. I've heard, I've heard all that stuff, and um, and unfortunately, you know, you've probably seen this either on the radio or on TV. There will be people ministering in in the name of Christ who tell people the naive notion that if you know, if you'll send me X number of dollars. I'll pray over this special cloth, or I'll write your prayer need down and take it to this special prayer room, or they're going to go somewhere with it and perform this abracadabra. (laughs) If you give me X amount of investment, God is going to give you Y amount back. Can you just imagine what the thinking general public believes when they hear that nonsense? That's what I think. It's what you think when you hear that nonsense. Okay, so... (laughs) But when people who slander Christianity and Christians actually discover the truth, find out what's really true, not their perception, not what somebody has said to them um, or told them, but if they can find out, if they can actually find out the real truth, what's really true, then God has an opportunity, a special opportunity to work in their hearts and in their lives. And Peter tells us how to do this, um, how to get them there um, through some difficult times, how to live in a world where you're getting um, a lot of flack 
and you're going through a lot of pain. And so I'm going to give you a quick outline of where, where he goes in his scripture, and, and then because some of you are note takers and you like this, but I, I'm not giving you a slide for this. The text today is going to be in First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Let's pray over that. God, um, we invite you now to speak to our hearts, and uh, we make ourselves uh, available to the Spirit, Lord. We, have, we hear so many things, and maybe sometimes our own opinions get pretty strong, but we, right now, God just asks for your spirit to prevail. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as First as Peter gets going here, he's going to do a couple things. First, he's going to make an appeal, and, um, and, and this appeal, because I'm going to slice and dice this passage when we get to, I'm telling you, he's going to make this appeal, and the appeal that he makes is, is a loving brother talking to us. It's not, it's not, he's not looking down on us. Second thing he's going to do is he's going to make a negative command. He's going to say, stop doing something. There's something you're doing that's making the problem worse. Stop doing that. And then he's going to give a positive command. He's going to say, do this, and it will help the situation. And then he explains the reason. So that's your quick outline. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Here's the appeal. Dear friends, literally the words here are beloved brother or dear friends. And he's, notice he's not speaking down to them. This is an appeal from his heart. He says, I urge you. Now, this word... It's a very strong word. Um, some translations, you don't know what you're reading, they say, I beg you or I exhort you. It's the same root word that we get our word Holy Spirit from. Okay? Same root word, parakaleo. Okay? And, and that, that is two root words come together. They basically means come alongside to call. Okay? He's saying, I'm coming along. Dear brother, I'm coming alongside you to say, and he says, you know, as aliens and strangers in the world. He's, okay, he's not insulting us, but he's saying you're an alien. You know? You're somebody that God has chosen for himself, and you know, you're just passing through this life. This is the temporary part of your existence. And then that second word, stranger, which points out you know, that we're living in a world that's hostile to, to, to our beliefs. Hostile to our values, hostile to our philosophy, the ways that we're thinking, hostile to what God wants to do in you. So he's saying, please listen to this. In the light of all that fact, you know, he says, and, here, and here, that's his appeal. And now this command, he says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. It's pretty straightforward. Abstain means to pull away or hold back from. And this, this war is, you know, it's, it's a military campaign. It's exactly what you think that word means. Peter's commanding a couple of things. Number one here, he's saying, maintain personal purity to silence the critics within you. The critics in here. You know, because... We're, 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 as, a, as a person of the Lord, you know, we get pulled apart inside. When, when we go after the things of this world, when we're struggling with the flesh and lusts, it, 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 it kindles a fire right in here. <laughs> and um, to help us understand that, I think the, the Apostle Paul can speak to that. And I want to take you to a passage in Galatians chapter 5. Um, where he talks about fleshly lusts. Okay, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Unfortunately here, I think the NIV, um, the translation, it's not the best translation because sometimes I think the NIV uses um, sinful nature and flesh to be um, interchangeable. I don't think they are. Um, This is really talking about human flesh, your humanness. 
The part of us that just wants to go after things. Even though you're a believer and you live in the world, that's present in us, right? There's a humanness in us that, that, that wants to war. Okay, rather serve one another in love. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now listen to the grocery list that's going to come out here. And this, this, the word desires up above just means lust, okay? Okay, so it's, a, it's an intensive word, obviously. It, it, it means trying, you know, the desire, the passion that we, I mentioned before. Okay, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, Orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's saying that the perpetual practice of, of flesh, he says it's evidence that the spirit of God may not be at work in your life. It, it's, it's potentially evidence that you may not know Christ as a savior. And notice too that this list is not just some external acts. There are attitudes of the heart that are on this list, things that are going on inside. One more passage I'll take you to, 1 John 2, where, he, where um, he, John takes this whole issue of the flesh and he breaks it into three categories that I think will help for us. Verse 15, he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he describes the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Peter's saying, stay away from all that stuff. Now, rabbit trail for you. I won't take you there. I will point you there because you know how I am about rabbit trails. I could go off and burn too much time. Those three topics, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. If you were to go pay a visit to Matthew chapter 4 and you'll see how Satan tempts Jesus Christ and you look at the different temptations, you will see those three categories into, into strategic play there. And you'll see something else, how Jesus overcomes those. And that's this. By having on the tip of his tongue the word of God. And that's what will help you you to perceive the difference uh, between what you perceive and what's real. The word of God will always be the place. So I want to take just a minute. Let's take a minute and look at the flesh. Wait a minute. Did I just... Okay, never mind what I just said. <laughs> Lust of the flesh. Okay, it involves the whole issue of this God-given um, good. These are God-given good sexual impulses. Okay, I mean trying to be satisfied the wrong way and at the wrong time or at the wrong time. By the way, the enemy of our soul will rarely ever tell you something that's really, really terrible to believe. Remember, we talked about that in our last series about truth. He's you just reject that offhand. He's he's instead he's going to give you something that's good to believe in a bad way, or at a bad time, typically. 
There's nothing wrong with sex. It's, you know, the enemy of our soul didn't create that. God did. It's just in the expression that it can get in, in a problem. Now, I, I, I mean, I'll give you a transparent illustration. Um, I always get nervous when I talk about some of these things, um, and I was very prayerful about sharing this with you. This this portrays to my just immediately before I became a Christian days and in the very beginning days of being a Christian. Okay, um, I um, and I think this is this will be relevant to people who are perhaps single or students or other younger people, especially. But it could be to to anyone, you know, whether you're a brand new Christian or. Whatever, but I was a brand new Christian before I was a brand new Christian, and, and, and there was a war that was raging in my soul. And um, the pull of the world, the pull of the flesh, you know. And so I was in high school, and finding dates was not a problem. So I would go out with girls. And the the bad thing here was that I was involved with a number of different girls, and in my relationships with them, um, I'm sorry, my kids have to hear this. <laughs> Um, and my mother, and my wife, and you, okay? But, you know, I, there would be, I would take steps and begin doing petting and things like that that um, just steps towards sexual intimacy that did not glorify God. But I would always come back in my mind and say, yeah, but I didn't go all the way. There would always be an argument. Did you catch that? There would be two arguments. There was a war raging in my soul. And, you know, do you know what it's like to have a war? I mean, you, you probably know what it's like to have a war. You all know what it's like to have a war that rages in your soul. And to have this, you know, this critic, this, this one inside here saying, you're a hypocrite. And then if you go to church and you're doing that stuff, then you go to church and you worship and the worship leader is leading you to worship and you're thinking, I'm such a, this can't. I can't believe what I'm doing with my hands. It's just a war. And um, my own heart would label me a hypocrite. My own heart would, would slander me truthfully. And I love Peter's heart. The thing, though, is that when he says abstain from fleshly lusts or it'll wage war against your soul, you know, he's, he's telling us that those things make us inoperative. They make us spiritually impotent. It eats us up. And Peter's saying, you know, if you can eliminate that stuff, if you can eliminate that slander in your own soul, and, 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 and you do that by living a pure life. And I love his heart. You know, this isn't some guy looking down on us saying, <laughs> no, he's, he's a brother, he's a friend, he's dearly beloved, and he says, you know, and, he, and, and the reason he's doing this is because he understands where the war begins, right in there. And I, I can remember at that time, you know, some prayerful discussions, you know, God, help me, deliver me, and help me, you know, let me get this under control. And there's a struggle in my mind, it's in my soul, and, and I also remember the still, small voice of the Lord saying, you know, Terry, you really don't want my help because you like it. You know, when you really want help, you let me know because I'm here. But don't lie to me. I don't want to play games. You really don't want help because you like it. And I don't know what you read. I don't know what you watch on TV. I don't know what movies you 
You know, I don't know how you relate to other people. I don't, I don't know how you handled yourself in your dating relationships. But I can tell you this, on the loving authority of God, God's word, that if you're not pure in this area of your life, it's waging a war in your soul. Okay, so lust of the flesh. And now, what about lust of the eyes? And these are, you know, the people who are enameled with things and money and shopping and houses and cars and I've got to have more. And, um, <laughs> you know, people whose status and worth uh, and personhood are all based upon the lust of the eyes. And, and you, you know how one of the ways you can tell if you have a problem with the lust of the eyes is if, if you have major debt service. If you, I mean, if you, if you are buying more than you can pay for, it is absolutely not the will of God. And there's a war in your soul. It just is a war in the cell. Okay, so lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. You know, ego can be an addiction. You know, we got to impress people. We got to dress right. We got to say the right things, you know, project the best image. And that can build a level of hypocrisy that chases people away from God, too. It can be just as addictive as alcohol or sex or drugs. And Peter's saying, hey, I love you. I'm not down on you. But fleshly lust wages war in your soul. And um, interesting, he says, and, and the words he used there are the present tense. It's a, this isn't very good, but this battle that you're going to face, it's, it's for the rest of your life. You know. So now to some good news. We could use some good news, okay? Um, so he says, maintain personal purity so that you can silence the critic within. The second one is this. Uh, provide a powerful public testimony to silence the people without, the people out there. Look again at verse 12. And this is a, this is a command. Now he says, live. Now this is a command. Um, present tense, keep on living. So it, it says, live such good lives, one translation says, with excellent behavior, among the pagans that though they accuse you or slander you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's word here, good lives, um, excellent behavior, actually means noble. The root word here means to come from honesty, authenticity. He's saying, live in such a way that your life so reflects the life of Christ that there's a joy inside of you that, that, that shows that there's, that the, without the conflict on the inside. And there's such a peace and such a power and such intimacy and compassion and relationship involved there. You live such an excellent life that, that those who talk down and slander and say bad things about you are going to be silenced. They'll actually be silenced. And what's going to silence them? It's, it says they're going to see your good works. It's, it's, it's not your words. It's not where you go to church. They're going to see your life. You know, this is a rhetorical, don't answer this question, but you do know you're being observed, right? Okay, you know you're being watched in the marketplace. I mean, that they may see. That word, that word there that describes what's happening is, is, is you're being viewed carefully, examined, like being a witness in a trial. You know, you're being observed every day. It's, it's, like, you're, it's like Peter saying you're on trial. There, so, so make sure that having to do with finances, having to do with integrity, having to do with how you pay your bills, how, how you treat your, your relationships in your neighborhood, 
that people who hear those scandalous things about Christians, but because of the way you handle yourself as you interact with them, that they have the opportunity to overcome that slander so that they can glorify God. You know, they meet the one person in their office or their neighborhood or at the soccer game, and, and you're different. You're loving. You care. You're consistent. You're authentic. And then their perception of Christianity, which has been negative, starts to dissolve and takes this new shape. And, and by the way, it, it could take a while, right? <laughs> They're going to say, yeah, is this the real deal? I mean, I would. And, and this is Peter's appeal. He says, maintain your personal purity. Why? To silence the critics inside. And then he says, provide a powerful public testimony. That's going to silence the critics out there. And Peter doesn't just say, hey, you know, buck up, rah, rah, rah. He's, he's actually going to tell us how. And over the next several weeks, we're going to actually talk through the how part of this. And I'm, trust me, you're going to be stretched by how he tells us how. <laughs> I'm being stretched by it. I mean, he's going to talk about how, what do we do when our government tells us things that we just can't accept? And the scriptures tell us to submit to every human institution you know, be above reproach, you know, wait a minute, you know, in their case, the government, that means the guy who blamed us for burning down, we got to submit to him? Yeah, yeah. And he gives some parameters, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about at work. You know, at that time, it was slaves and their masters. Today, it's employers and employees. We'll talk about when you're absolutely being treated unfairly at work by unrighteous leadership. What do you do? Well, you treat them with love. You, you, know, you go to the next level. And, and scripture tells you what will happen. Slander will dissolve there. Or in your marriage. You know, scripture will tell us wives and husbands submit to each other, to love each other, fulfill your role. Go ahead, take it to the next level. And, 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 and Peter will tell us that's how you will change your spouse. It's amazing. In 1 Peter 3, you know, he's going to tell us in general to be submissive and to live in harmony with people to love one another, and that's going to erase bad, pain, bad press. So we have abstained from um, fleshly lust because um, it, we're to maintain our personal purity. So that's the critics within. The second is that we're going to develop a powerful public testimony. And then here's what will happen. Number three. So they may observe your good deeds and glorify God. How do we best glorify God? By accepting his love. By accepting his gift. By accepting the Son of God. Jesus Christ. That's how we glorify God the best. We're going to have such good works and such loving lives and dynamic community that an unbeliever that encounters us who used to slander you is going to say, this, there's something real here. And then he's going to be visited by God and he's going to get saved. Now you can relax if you're concerned that all of a sudden Pastor Terry has turned into this legalist guy and he's going to start, you know, this list of rules, that is not what Scripture's telling us here. We talked about filthy rags before. I'll, I'll take you there again if we need to. I mean, but, but you can relax. But this appeal that Peter makes is being made not only because some negative press has to be addressed and, and, and we want to put put to rest the war that's in our soul, but it's because people will trust Christ when they see the real thing, their perception. 
And here's the deal. We have a generation of Americans today who think they see a motorcycle coming at them. Only to find when they get too close, maybe too close to swerve, that it's a car with a light. It's destruction headed at them. We've got to turn on the lights. We've got to, as Christians, we've got to help them see exactly what Christianity is. And when they do, when people really see because of how we live in the community, in the marketplace, they're going to know then the Christ who says, you know, I love you and I understand you. And I love you and I understand you, even though you're flawed. And even though you try things and you fail and you fail and you fail, I love you anyway. And I'll be with you. And I'll stand by you. And I have a family for you. And I want you. And I love you. And oh, by the way, we're going to spend eternity together. I've got all kinds of promises. But if they see narrow and bigoted and anti-intellectual, If that's the perception, they're not going to want to do anything with Christ. Let your good works so shine before men that they can see it and glorify God in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, um, I've had a lot on my heart. I suppose all your sons and daughters do when we hear those whom you've called us to be submitted to, the Supreme Court, make decisions that just completely contradict your word. And I feel powerless to effect legal change. I know some people are called to be a part of that, and I pray for them, Lord. Anoint, and I pray for our leaders. I pray for the president and for the Congress and the Senate and for judges and for state leaders. I pray, God, that a sense of your spirit would invade and that people would see light where in the past they've seen whatever they've seen. That God, I I pray for the legal process, but more than that today, I pray for our hearts that where, Lord, we fall short sometimes of representing you with the kind of love that you would desire, forgive us for that, Lord. Let us be an example. Let, us, let it start with us one-on-one in the marketplace because that we can do. That is within our control. That is within our responsibilities. And I pray, Lord, that um, you will speak to us, Lord, little opportunities that the Spirit might dwell in us. And I want to pray, church, keep your eyes closed for a second. I want to pray if in reading these lists of failures of the flesh, you have felt condemned. I just want to tell you the scriptures tell you, there's, there's a scripture in the book of Romans that says that, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned, sons and daughters of the King. You may feel conviction in your heart. That's different. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, come on, there's a better way. I want you to do this. Be different and be, build you up. The, the conviction of the Holy Spirit always wants to build you up and bring you closer to God. Condemnation is from hell. Condemnation wants to make you feel bad and distant from God. If, if what you are sensing in your soul makes you feel distant from God, that is not from him. He would instead say, I love you. I want to restore you. I want to forgive you. I want to build you. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord before and you want the Lord to love you and restore you and build you, what scripture says is this. It says, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. All. And it doesn't say you have to get your act all together and cleaned up first. If you've never made a decision before to open your heart to the King, there is an eternity that rests on this decision. 
I just encourage you to open your heart to the Lord right now. And in just a moment, as, as Pastor Eric is leading us, he's going to give an opportunity for you to pray and to receive the King. I just encourage you to keep your heart tender before him right now.